What's up, guys? Welcome into another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me is my co-host, Curtis. Uh, it's the end of the month, guys, so that means it's time for the April listener mailbag. Uh, I don't want to speak for Curtis, um, but I always love doing these shows. Don't you, Curtis? These, these are fun. Yeah, the participation is nice. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's fun to kind of just uh, answer all these questions, get you guys out there involved in the show. So, uh, yeah, we have a good time doing it and hope you guys enjoy it as well. But uh, as is usually the case... The high volume of questions that we receive this month, it kind of necessitates us breaking this into two parts. So today is going to obviously be, uh, it's gonna be part one, and then we'll have part two of the April Listener Mailbag for you guys next Tuesday. So make sure to tune in for that. But first though, if you are new to the show, or even if you aren't, and you just haven't done so yet, uh, we'd love for you to be awesome if you'd follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, we don't always have interesting things to say, but sometimes we do. So check us out there at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And again, I don't want to speak for Curtis, but uh, I know I, I'm no smarter than any of you guys out there. So I really enjoy getting your thoughts on the show and what we discuss. So feel free to hit us up uh, anytime out there on social media. You also have time before part two of the listener mailbag that's going to air next Tuesday. So if you have a question that you want us to discuss on the show that you didn't get in yet, feel free to tweet or email us, and we will make sure to include it on the show. Our goal is to always get to all the questions that we get from you guys out there. We don't want to leave anyone hanging. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those out there. And if you have a chance, it would definitely help us if you head to iTunes and uh, review the show if you like it. Even if you don't, just the reviews help. So uh, that would be great if you get a chance. But all right, let's go ahead and open up the mailbag here, Kurt. Uh, if, if you've been paying attention, which I know you have, Curtis, and I know pretty much everyone listening to the show has been paying attention, you wouldn't be listening to the show if you weren't one of the diehards who lives and breathes this year in year or day in day out throughout the year. But if you've been paying attention to the 2018 recruiting cycle, you would know that we have been taking some body blows over the last couple of weeks, and uh, really, we've taken a couple of tough ones over just the past week. So obviously, with that still fresh on everyone's minds, we've got a number of recruiting-related questions here for this particular mailbag show. So let's go ahead uh, and start with a couple of these to kick everything off. And the first question I want to go with here is related to the most recent body blow for this 2018 class, and that's dealing with outside linebacker slash pass rusher Britton Cox. So Question number one, Kurt, here is how would you assess the loss of Britton Cox in the 2018 class? Um, I think it's a big loss. I mean, especially after losing Adam Anderson, it's definitely going to be one that stings with such little talent, or not little, but not as much talent in state as there has been in the last couple of years. So it's definitely a, definitely a big hit. Um, you know, I think it's, it's one of these things that you can – I mean, it's going to continue to happen as much as we want to shut down these borders until Georgia puts, you know, the same amount of effort and money into the program as you see other programs doing. We're starting on that right path, but it's... Starting on the path, but, you know, as you and I were talking this weekend, I mean, while we are putting money into it, it's nowhere... You know, the University of Kentucky is putting in more money into our program. I think the past, what, two to three years, they've put $150 million into football. Not anything to do with basketball, just football at Kentucky. So, and see, and, and that's a big thing, you know. And I'm pointing that out because, you know, 
we, you know, University of Georgia, Georgia football is big in this state, but when it comes to places like Ohio State and some of those other programs, that's literally all they have in those states. I mean, they care more about college football than they do pro football. Well, I don't know if Ohio State football is any bigger than Georgia. I mean, they've won more, so it's got more well, of a national I mean, following. But you also got to go with the fact that they, like, their facilities. Yeah, well, they, they, it's it's an administrative thing. It's not a. I don't. I don't think it's a fan base thing. I think it's an administrative no, no, but thing. I'm saying they put more into the the fan base and everything about it is the fact that they're putting money into the program, hosting over you know a hundred thousand in there. And I think right now their facilities are a little bit better than ours. Oh yeah, they are, I and mean, we've got we're trying to catch up, but we've got to catch up. Um, you're really seeing it in this 2018 class with such few people that there's a lot of draw at some of these bigger schools. That I mean, even LSU has. I mean, Tiger Stadium is, I mean, it's legendary when you really get to talking to people about it. Well, that's also, I, think one of the difference between, I think one of the differences between our fan base and other fan bases out there uh, that are part of elite programs and programs that have been very successful over a, a number of years is I don't know if our fan base as a whole demands success from our administration. We're A lot of the fans in, in our fan base seem to be just content to be pretty good and to let that be the standard. And they don't well, really yeah, speak just like up. we're thankful. We're just now we're we're thankful McGarity just, you know, put the money in for uh indoor facility. I mean, we should have been demanding something yeah. like that. Yeah. And other programs they do. I mean, what, think about it even if like if Nick Saban and it's it's with your coaching staff, it's with the facilities. If Nick Saban went 7-5 one year and lost to Alabama and blew an in-state blew a game to your in-state rival on Auburn, the team that you have significantly more talent than like we did at Georgia Tech. Even with all his national titles, they're going to be calling for his head. You know they would. And our fan base isn't necessarily like that. And I think that's been to our detriment to a degree. I really think that we just don't push enough as a whole. There are people who do, but we're somewhat more content to just accept pretty good as opposed to demanding excellence from the top down. And that, to me, it's the administrative. That's where... Exactly. We just let it slide. You've got all of, all these programs throughout the, the athletic department who are, who are mediocre or failing, and we're okay with that. I mean, we just fired Dan Durante, the, the gymnastics coach, but that probably should have been done last year. And we're paying her. We just signed her to an extension last year through 2020. So we're going to be paying her for the next couple of years. And if she deserved to be fired this year, she deserved to be fired last year. Why give her the, the extension? It's just exactly. and, baffling. You know, think, and, and, you know, that... The, that is, I think, one thing that's hurting us with recruiting is, you know, I I, I don't think Kirby is working. I, I know for a fact that he's not working any less, you know, any less than as hard as he did last year. No, that's not who he is, and that's not who the coaches he has. I mean, you got you made a move with Rocker more likely because of the recruiting efforts. So he's trying to bring in more recruiters, and, you know, I think it's one of these things that you look at some of these kids that go to these other programs, even if it's just for one weekend, and it just hits them so much. All right, you're bringing in some bigger points. I'm going to come back to Britton Cox in a second since that was the first question. But you're getting at the points here, uh, like what's wrong with our recruiting class? So here's another question that we had, and this says, since you're kind of heading in that direction, it seems like the 2018 class is going to hell in a handbasket. Day by day, it seems to take a step back. Are you starting to get concerned uh, about where we are right now in the 2018 class, and why are we having so much difficulty in this cycle after so much success with a top three class in the 2017 cycle? So your answer to that, number one, would be administrative commitment, it seems like. Yeah, I think a, a, a commitment from the administration across the board. Um, you know, we're just like, you and I talking about this weekend. Yeah, it's nice we got the indoor facility. 
but why do we still why do why is there not anything in writing yet about getting a new weight room in? I mean, look at Bama. I mean, you know, our weight room like, is smaller than some high school weight rooms. And guys, I'm not kidding. It's it, there are exactly. high school weight rooms that are bigger than our college weight room at the University of freaking Georgia. Exactly, and it's things like that that really hurt us in recruiting. I mean, Kirby can work as hard as he as hard as he possibly could till the day. I mean, he could drop dead from working so hard; it wouldn't matter because we don't have certain things to offer. And you know, yeah, we had a top three class, and I, I'm very thankful for it. But one of the biggest things that made that class so successful is we had so much playing time to offer. Kind of like mm-hmm. what Tennessee had when Bush Jones first got there; he was just pitching early playing time, early playing time, early playing time. Well, Kirby went out there and got after it so much last class. That early playing time is not everything he can offer now. Yep. And so, I, I honestly think, and it's weird to say this, as it's, like, I would not trade that 2017 class for anything. I'm, I'm thrilled no, we signed I, that class, but I would say I'm this 2008. I think that that class, that 2017 class, is working to our detriment right now in 2018. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking about it before. Uh, when you have a quarterback like you see it, you, we talked about it on the last show. You, you have a quarterback competition like East and from where I mean, just where they're competing in a spring game, that scares off another guy. Yeah, how can you realistically, realistically expect to get a guy like a Trevor Lawrence when there's no class separation between East and from? None. So I mean, and, and all these guys think they're they're hot shots and come in and beat out whoever whoever's there, but it, it just it's reasonable. You gotta be realistic. Yeah, you gotta too. be. Real, I, mean, I mean, why not? If, if if all things are if you're if you're down to Clemson and Georgia and you you relate both schools and you're trying to decide between them, well, it's the deciding factor might be well maybe I have an easier path here. Uh, although Clemson does have some some solid quarterbacks there as well, but whatever school, if it's Georgia and some other school and. You, you're having a tough time making that decision, that final decision between those two schools, you're probably going to go with the path of least resistance. It just makes sense. I mean, even offensive tackle, you know, you and I were talking about how we were shocked that Max Ray ended up at Ohio State. You know, that's not the point. The point is we signed – well, we started off with four offensive tackles in the class. We lost to Mary. Right. But even then, we signed three offensive tackles. One's a Juco, yes, but there's two other freshmen. So – it's going to be hard for another offensive tackle to come in and compete for a spot right away when he's already got kids ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah, and, so I think, and, and I think you're a, right. That's, a, that's across the board. I mean, like the offensive line, we took six guys. We, we're we telling all the recruits out there that we can really only take three this class. So first off, we have to be a lot more picky with who we are taking, and we can't just throw scholarships out. And at the same time, it's hard to get kids that, you know, one of the – I mean, Isaiah Wilson, one of the biggest things, yeah, yeah, he pretty liked Georgia. He probably, like you said, he grew up watching him and things. But that factor of him legitimately having a shot at starting as a freshman – Plays big on people. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think administration and just the commitment to the program is part of it because that that leads that has an effect on recruiting. Uh, playing time that we had to offer this year just it was a perfect storm last year, 2017. When you have a new coach come in, you can sell change, you can sell, be a part of the of the solution. We're gonna come here, yeah, we're gonna change the game, crop. as Coach Cole likes to say. You can sell that. And we had a, we had a ton of of talent deficiency on the roster and we had gaps and holes that we had to fill and we did that largely with that 2017 class and we sold it incredibly well uh to to the tune of a top three class but we're finding it a little bit more difficult to do so in this particular class because we we have a lot of depth that we signed in this past class and there's not gonna be any class separation you know if you you look at the 2019 class we've already got two top 10 national players committed in Jaden Hazelwood and Nolan Smith because there will be a class separation. There's a year between 2017 and 2019. That number will get bigger, too, as we get on. I mean, I don't think 19 is going to be the problem. 18 is no, the problem. No, 18, because there's no class separation between them and 17. 
Like, why exactly. would you if, if we just signed all these elite players that gave us a top three class the year ahead of you? That that's a tough sell, especially when you have other options to go with. I mean, all these guys have options all over the place in all sorts of different conferences. So it's that's a tough sell. Uh, and then I also think you have to factor in this man. We just got to win. Losing to Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech the way we lost those teams, that's going to turn a lot of teams off. And we're being negatively recruited against. You know we are. Teams out there, these are professional salesmen. And they are selling this 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 idea that Kirby is he's a wild card. He's, there's uncertainty there. We don't know if Kirby can make it big. We don't know if he has what it takes to be an elite head coach. You come to Alabama, you know that I have what it takes as Nick Saban. You come oh, to Ohio State, State you're Urban Meyer, right? Exactly. So, you know, these guys are – they have a track record to fall back on, whereas Kirby does not. And then the only track record he has as a head coach in his first year, you go 7-5 and five in the regular season with bad losses to Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech. You blow the game against Tennessee. Uh, yeah, we had one nice win against Auburn. But, you know, it it, it was certainly uh, an uninspiring first year for Kirby Smart. Yeah, and, 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 and there are all sorts of reasons it, for that. But we got to win. We, we yeah, have I to mean, win. Look at, at Dabo Sweeney. You know, for a while, he, you know, his, he, he always dabbled, as people call it. You know, did yeah, his that first couple of years, yeah. And he had a tough time recruiting those first exactly. couple of years. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, when they blow up these last couple of years, the recruiting takes off. I, he, like you said, you just have to win yeah. to prove yourself. You get the right quarterback in Taj Boyd. Uh, yeah, it just kind of right. falls into place. You start winning, and then you build off of that. You create more excitement. I mean, yeah, like you said, when you get a new head coach, you create excitement. But that that only sustains, or you only carry that bump it's, for so long. And so then it has to come. You need to start winning to create more excitement. Yeah, and I think we kind of need. And I hate God. I hate saying this, but like right now, I think we need to. We need I, to I, go to Atlanta. Yeah, we, we absolutely have to. We have to go to Atlanta this year. Or, 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 think about what our opponents are going. I mean, because we're going to be. The heavy favorite in the SEC East this year. I mean, media days. I, I feel confident saying that we're probably going to be the favorite. We're going to be picked there to represent the East in Atlanta. And just like Tennessee's facing this year, if you fall flat on your face when you're picked, even if it's unfair that you're picked, maybe you shouldn't been picked. The fact is, that's what everyone's hearing. That's the narrative. And if you don't meet those expectations, you fall flat on your face. That's going to kill you out yeah, there yeah, in the, with the high school kids. Jones having to pitch the idea of their champions of life. Yeah, because they I mean, look at I mean Tennessee for a couple years there when he first got there, he was selling brick by brick, just like what Kirby did last year, and also did in the 2016 class. You sell the future, you sell playing time, you sell excitement, you sell energy, you sell being part of something new and changing the game. Well, Butch Jones did that for a couple years at Tennessee, also, and it, it has some really highly rated recruiting classes. Well, the past couple years, Tennessee has fallen off when it comes to recruiting because all, eventually you can't just keep selling playing time over and over. You can't keep selling, hey, we're the new program, hey, we got a lot of energy, hey, come change the game. Eventually that. That pitch falls flat. And for us, it's, it seems to be right now in the 2018 class, that pitch is not working. And then you, when you haven't won on the field with this new regime, you don't have that to fall back on. Tennessee's been facing the past couple years. We're starting to face that right now in 2018. And so you factor that in with the 2017 class being as lead as it was um, and, and gobbling up some of that potential playing time, no class separation there, it's going to create issues. And you also, I mean, look, I hate to say this too. But guys, like we need to readjust our expectations somewhat. To we have the ability, as we showed last year, any given year to jump up and recruit in a top, at a top five level. But we have not shown the ability to do that year in and year out. We always recruit very well at a, usually a top ten, a top twelve level. But we're not typically in the top five. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we recruit well, really well, relative to most everyone else that we play in our in our conference. But 
we're not at Alabama's level. We're not at Ohio State's level. We're not at Florida State's level. I freaking hate saying that. I want that to change now. But I think the start to this 2018 recruiting cycle is very indicative of the fact that our program still is just not at that elite level. I mean, 2017 results notwithstanding. We recruit very well, but we just don't typically recruit at that top five level like the elites of the elites do. I mean, last year, think about this. Like We, we cycled up last year. Teams do this from time to time. Like Tennessee did. You, you cycle up due to a confluence of events, you know, playing time, new regime, all that. But that was always going to be difficult for us to replicate in 2018, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think the coaches themselves knew it. That's why they jumped so much on 2019 already. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think one thing you just have to realize, guys, and look, this it, it's hard to swallow this, but it's, I think right now for us this is a reality until we change it. It's very rare that a program can sustain that top five level of recruiting year in and year out. Only a very select few can do it. We're talking about the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Florida States, those guys who, no matter what's going on, they're always perennially in that top five in the recruiting ranks. And not only that, but they have the history of putting the guys out in drafts. Right. So, yeah, those teams, they put the guys in the, in the league. Those are also all teams that have sustained elite success on the field by winning and or being in the national title discussion every year. Think about it. Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State. They are always in the national championship or now playoff discussion every year. Every year. And that's just not where we are right now. We, so for us to get to the point where we're consistently recruiting at the top five level and we can bitch and moan about the 2018 class getting off to a poor start, which it has, we have to raise our program's level of play on the field. Like you said, we've got to get to Atlanta. It's as simple as that. It's just it's that simple. So I don't know. Are you worried, though? So let's go back to that I mean, question. Are you worried about this 2018 not, class? It's, not, it's, not, it's hard, hard not to be worried, but I'm not, you know. I'm not panicking. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in full panic mode, as most Georgia fans always do over, you know, anything. Because it's still, I mean, it's, we're almost in May, and that's, it's... And like you and I are talking this weekend, too, you know, as, you know, Kirby hasn't had a chance to be on the road in a while. Yeah, it's, and I, had, I was having a, a great discussion with a couple of guys on Twitter last night about, about this class, with the, with the news on Cox coming out. Um, and one of the questions guy asked me, it was a fair question, is do you think we got behind in recruiting by, with spring practice and, and taking spring practice as late as we did? And my response to that is, well, the spring evaluation period where coaches could be on the road didn't start until April April fifteenth, so yeah, we might have missed a week. For, it's the same for everyone. Yeah, I mean that's the same for everyone. But you guess, I mean, I guess what you're saying is like we start we, we we strung out spring practice. I mean, it lasted forever, and we got our G day was the twenty second, which we so you can say the same for Alabama and Tennessee as well. Um, but still, I mean, coaches could not be out on the road until April fifteenth. That's when the spring evaluation period opened up. So maybe we, we were behind a couple of days, but nothing significant, nothing that we couldn't catch up on. And we also were hosting guys almost every yeah, day at practice. Yeah, we got to host a number of big guys that weekend, too. Yeah, I mean, that weekend and all, all through spring practice. If it was just a random practice, you would have guys up here. The scrimmages, I mean, when I went to the scrimmage, I had a couple guys there. Uh, and they yeah, went to see practice. Had, uh, almost the entire week. Yeah, Wilson was here for, yeah, almost the entire week. I was on the spring break or something. But, like, look, I, I'm concerned. I'm not going to sit here and lie. We did a show on this about a, a little more than a month ago. Uh, and at that time, people were concerned. And, and now people are getting more concerned because we have not gotten any commitment since then. We've actually lost commitment. And we lose Britton Cox, who's a guy that we had led for for a while. Makes a trip up to Ohio State and everything changes. He comes to town for G-Day and we weren't able to, to get him back. Uh, so, yeah, I'm concerned. But I'm like you. I'm not panicking yet. Um, but I am concerned. I mean, like the one thing I will say is nice is to at least have a kicker for once. Yeah, and that, well, that's one thing that's kind of gone under the radar here. Like, we got the number one kicker in the country. I mean, kickers don't really move the needle, but they, you, as we well know, you can win and lose games based on what you have at kicker. I mean, look at look at that spring game. Uh, even though it's a spring game, one team lost because of kicking. 
well, it was the same guy. But, well, but, I know, but I mean, to be, I'm trying to be nice. Not, I, I, not totally. I see, I see as, your as, point. As you told me many times, I was a little mean about him this weekend. Hey, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. But hey, hopefully that'll be fixed. Here. We got the guy from Norcross, Jake Camarda, coming in as the one kicker in the country. Uh, he, he, he's a do it all kind of guy. He's a kickoff guy, plays kicker, punter. He actually he says that he's a better punter than anything. We need help he all actually around. Earned himself a scholarship. Yeah, we need we need question. We need help all around there. So yeah, I'm a little bit worried. And really, what I'm what makes me more worried than anything is not just the lack of numbers necessarily. Is I think losing the instinct. That's exactly that's exactly what I have here, man. Like the in-state guys, that hurts because this class, like it's top heavy. We have a bunch of really elite guys at the top, like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jamari Sal. You have those guys, Britton Cox. Um, but the depth, especially at key positions, is not here. So when we lose some of those top guys in-state, we're that that's concerning because if if you go to the next guy in-state, there's a significant drop off. The next guy up. And then you, well, okay, now you can go out of state. A guy like K.J. Henry, maybe, uh, out of North Carolina. Maybe a Micah Parsons, who just decommitted from Penn State. But those guys are out of state, and you can't count on that, you know? No, you can't. When you lose guys in state, that's concerning. Because to me, the majority of our class every year is going to be made up of Georgia guys. Because that's the pipeline you can consistently count on. I mean, yeah, you can go out of state every now and then and straight pick an elite guy. You know, we did that with Isaiah Wilson last year. We've done that in the past with Todd Gurley, Noshaw Marino, we, uh, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Murray, Jacob Eason. We've done that. But you can't make a living off that. So we got to rely on in-state guys, and we're losing some of these elite in-state guys. I mean, it looks like enough the board. And at some point, we've got to start landing some of these guys. And there's still guys out there for us to get. You know, Salyer, uh, Trey Hill, the two elite guards, top 50 guards are out there. Um, I mean, we got a couple of Jackson. Yeah, Kyrus Jackson's out there. Uh, Kyler McMichael's out there. J.J. Peterson. You got uh, some guys Chris like Smith, that, right? What's that? Chris Smith. Chris Smith's out there, but you know, we got to start landing some of them at, at this yeah, point. And see, we, we need Zamir White. Like Zamir White needs to commit now. Like yeah, we need, we're problem. in desperate need of some good news. You kind of touch on it just there, but a lot of these kids are waiting for their commitments. Also, yeah, this year, and I think part of it for when it comes to us is like they're in wait and see mode to see. Because you know, they want to see some of the two linemen. I mean, since we're taking so few, they want to see who, who you know who who shows out. Like, do one, does one of these freshmen come in and win the job right away? Like, think about our. So we're recruiting two big time guards in Trey Hill and Jamal Salyer. Might be a center, but still at the point, well, they yeah. might be center. Okay, center or guard. They they could they could combo either one there. But what if uh, a guy like Tory Johnson or Justin Schaefer comes in and wins the guard spot? What if you have a guy like Solomon Kinley, who's a redshirt freshman, who comes in and starts at guard? You're gonna come out and beat. You're gonna come in and beat one of those guys out, maybe. But again, that's not the path of least resistance. And guys have to factor that in when you have so many options. So I'm I'm a little concerned here, but there's there's time to, for us to. There's still time. I mean, we still haven't even gotten to the spring evaluation period. It's just I'll right feel, now. I feel promise. better about recruiting the day uh, ADGM's gone. Oh, McEars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I think one more thing I want to mention real quick here before we move on. I think the perception of our class right now, I think a lot of the consternation over this class originally stemmed from the fact that we have three top 25 overall players at the quarterback position. I'm not talking about 20, top 25 quarterbacks. I'm talking top 25 overall players that play the quarterback position in our state. And we have missed on all three. I'm talking about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Emory Jones. I mean, when is the last time we've had a top 25 player at quarterback in the state ever? One of them. 
Uh, it's I been a while. I can't. I, I can't uh, remember one. I mean, Fromm was. I mean, Davis Mills and Fromm were close. I don't think they were top twenty-five at, at any point. Uh, maybe Davis, Davis Mills. Maybe was, Mills. But... Mills was. You're right. Mills was. But we chose Fromm and over Mills. I mean, that's flat out. We that's the decision we made, and I'm happy with that. But three top twenty-five national players, the quarterback position in state, and we miss on all three of them. Think about this: if we landed one of those guys, and, and there's reasons why we have. We touched on that. With it's tough to sign a guy this year that's an elite quarterback, considering who we signed in the past two classes. But if, think about it. if we landed one of those guys early on, because quarterbacks still commit early because you kind of build them, you kind of build the class around. They're kind of the cornerstone. But wouldn't you think people would probably not be as near as concerned as they are right now if we had one of those guys on the commitment list? Yeah, I think that's very fair. And other guys probably would want to commit to join them. But as we said, it was never realistic that we were going to get one of those top flight quarterbacks, even an in-state guy, because of what we signed in 2016-2017. So I think that's driving a lot of this narrative, because this class would look quite a bit different if we landed one of those guys, Lawrence, Jones, or Fields. But just not how it worked out. All right, let's head back up to Cox real fast, though. So you, you – touched on him uh the loss of Britton Cox to me it guys in my book this is a big loss this freaking hurts uh and it's compounded you mentioned this it's losing Cox that impact is compounded by the decommitment of Adam Anderson last weekend uh we need at the we needed at very least to get one of those guys because their pass rusher is a major need for this class those are the two best guys and say I think Adam Anderson is the best pass rusher in state I think he's better than Cox although the rankings don't reflect that right now but Losing Cox on top of the Anderson decommitment, that hurts, man. Because then you have what Justin Masters from South Gwinnett, but we kind of we kind of cooled on him because we thought we had Anderson in the bag already. He's already committed since last August. We thought we were leading for Cox, which we were, so we kind of cooled on Maskell. He ends up committing elsewhere, going to Clemson. So now we're kind of out of it for him. And then then where do we turn? the the next The next guy in state. I mean, that there's a drop off there. I'm not saying we can't find a decent guy, but not that level. Maybe we can go out of state and get KJ Henry from North Carolina. Maybe, but can't count on that. Maybe we can get it with Micah Parsons. Maybe, but again, can't count on that. And, and we, this is a need position. And we just lost the two best pass rushers in the state this year. So yeah, it hurts. It hurts. All right, uh, next question. Is, I think it's the last one related to recruiting today. Uh, talking about decommitments. You mentioned Max Ray. I just brought up Adam Anderson. A question here is, what decommitment was the bigger loss, Max Ray or Adam Anderson? Uh, Easily Anderson. I mean, Ray, you know, there have been rumors we might have asked him to possibly play somewhere else on the line. uh, His dad confirmed that. How much of a factor that played in it, I don't know. But his dad said that we approached him about playing guard. And I think that did, especially like we said, at the point when he decommitted, we had signed four offensive tackles in that one class. Right, three true freshmen, one juco. Exactly. So I think we definitely, you know, need, the loss of Anderson was a lot bigger. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. Um, and here's why I say that. To me, Adam Anderson is a potential game-changer rushing the passer. He is a Leonard Floyd clone at this stage in his career and development. And you also were Leonard Floyd won the draft last year. I mean, this guy is a legit and, threat. You know, one, one thing when you said, talk about that also is the fact of recruiting decisions in our past have come to hurt us in Oh, you mean you going know? after DeAndre Walker and not Arden Key? Exactly. Oh, we went after like Arden Key, decision, but... You know, Kirby doesn't have control over that. But decisions the previous staff made have come back to hurt us, just yeah. like that specifically, where I I keep dogging Walker because he hasn't done anything to prove himself, while Arden Key's over there all SEC. If he comes back to the team. But yeah, he's had a good first, great first two years, no doubt. No doubt, he's kind of in flux right now, but he's he's definitely contributed a hell of a lot more than DeAndre Walker contributed for us. 
say that. Uh, and, and with Ray, like Ray would have been a nice piece for us to have for depth purposes, but very likely, um, at least hopefully, those positions will be locked up. Right tackle and left and tackle. Ray, Ray was kind of dropping. And he was dropping a little bit. I mean, there's concerns about whether he can add. I mean, he's got a nice frame. Can he add the weight? Can he keep well, yeah, it up? Yeah, he's got a nice frame, but Anderson was rising while Ray was dropping. Well, Anderson's a freak, man. I, the, the, the fact that Anderson is outside the top 100 in the 247 composite ratings is baffling to me. I, the dude is a monster. If, you, if any of you watched him play against Buford, and Buford is was the the preeminent program in Georgia high school football. Yeah, while they don't, you know, pass tremendously, they always have huge offensive. It didn't matter, man. Like they, he yeah. was, pass rush, run game, he was destroyed, and they could not do anything with him, anything. And that was the elite. I mean, that's not him. People always say, well, some of these kids from smaller schools, man, they don't. The competition, it's it's lesser competition. Uh, he destroyed Buford High School guys. I mean, he destroyed them single-handedly. So, I mean, and it wasn't just that game. Watching this guy in multiple settings, this guy is elite. He's, he's going to be a game-changer. He's going to be a game-changer, and we lost him. And I don't think we're going to get him back because LSU basically offered two of his teammates, and that's how, and they all want to play together. And I don't think Kirby's going to do that. We just don't have enough spots in this class to be able to do that. So I don't think we're going to be getting him back. And that hurts. It hurts because we're going to be losing our two top pass rushers, or at least outside linebackers, this year when Bellamy and Carter graduate. So that hurts. But Ray, I mean, hopefully Wilson and Thomas will have those tackle positions locked up for the next couple of years. So Ray would have been a nice piece to have for depth purposes. Uh, I will say, though, that the, the uh, Danny Demery situation, that makes the loss of Ray a little more impactful than it was at the time. And I think the reason we originally approached him about playing guard, like you said, was because we signed four guys last year at tackle. And when we're thinking, hey, maybe a little more depth at guard would help. I don't think we would have done that had we known that Demery wasn't going to be on the team, right? Yeah. And who knows? Maybe Max Ray still be committed to us. And again, we don't know how much of a factor that played into his decommitment. But it, if you judge by the comments his dad made, it sounds like that was a pretty big factor in, in what went down. I don't know. But yeah, both, both losses suck. We don't want to lose any of those guys. But to me, Anderson's definitely the bigger loss there. All right, let's move on here and get out of the recruiting talk. So we just mentioned Danny Dimery a couple of times there. Uh, I got a question uh, here uh, from a guy on Twitter. Did Kirby Smart make the right decision in immediately cutting ties with Danny Dimery after the incident Saturday night involving domestic violence? Potential, I should say alleged domestic violence with his girlfriend. Uh, what in what impact will this have on the team on the field? So two-part question. Did Kirby Smart make the right decision in cutting ties? And then what impact will this have on our team on the field? Um, I think from a PR standpoint, Kirby definitely did. Um, you know, you and I also talked about the fact that Kirby has try- been trying to stay away from the per se problem kids. Yeah. So right away, that's a huge problem, a huge red flag. And at the same time, literally the day before, they had a, uh, one of those women from Brenda the NCAA, Tracy. Yeah, that's working with the NCAA and things like that, come and speak to the program about dealing with, you know, sexual violence, domestic violence, things like that. And, you know, they tweet out that they want to set the standard and things like that. And then if you go and keep him, it, it's just terrible PR. And Brenda Tracy immediately tweeted out her support of Kirby Smart's decision. So you know she was monitoring yeah, the situation. Kirby's actually what, perceived more, more support than right. criticism. Imagine what she would have said if he had gone the other way. Well, and she kept was him already getting after him saying, you better do this and things like that. So you could only imagine if the decision came Look, out. it's just the climate say. in this country right now. Uh with domestic violence in general, but yeah, also, but particularly it, it when it comes to athletes, see it a lot, right? Yeah, athletes talking, in general. Yeah, Joe Milton. Of course, what happened at Baylor. 
Uh, and it the, the he had all sorts of situations with Greg Hardy. Remember him with the Cowboys and some yeah, of the some horrible of these things. Baseball players. Um, yeah, I mean, you're seeing it a lot. It's it's just it's pervasive right now. Uh, so from a PR standpoint and the current climate that's surrounding all this, you would be foolish to not take decisive action if you think the the if you think there's enough evidence to warrant that. And judging on what we saw with the police report, and if you and I don't want to dig into everything here, but the police report sounded pretty damning. Again, these are all allegations, but there are witnesses there. And also, at the end of it, you know, the police reported that Demery admitted to striking his girlfriend, to, to placing his hands on her. So, by his own admission, he did something there. So, with all, and you know, that Kirby's not going to make a decision like this, even with the climate as it is, without having cause, without having evidence. Because um, think about what he did with Ledbetter. He stuck behind Ledbetter because he knew the situation and understood it. But he also knew the situation here, and he made this decision. For me, and look, I, I, I don't pretend – I shouldn't – I'm not the moral police, guys. I'm just – I know I say this a lot. I'm one guy with one opinion, and everybody has their own view on things. But for me, this is a no-brainer. If you have uh, – you always want to wait and gather the facts. It looks like Kirby had the facts. And if, if the facts are what the police report said in terms of him laying his hands on, on his girlfriend in the way that he did, taking, grabbing her by the back of the neck and throwing her against a wall and throwing her down – it's a no-brainer. You got to go, man. You've got to go. And I, there are people out there right now that you see on message boards. And look, these are probably the lunatic friends, sure. But there are people out there who are upset about this, saying that if this happened to Alabama or some other SEC school at Auburn, one of our rivals, that they they would never have kicked him off the team. They would have kept this in house. Do you buy that? Not with the way this, the culture has changed with it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I buy that. Maybe in the past, but I don't know right now. Even if they, even if they would keep these guys on the team. Does that mean we need to? And I know that the narrative is we've kicked off so many guys that have gone on to other places and, and hurt us, like Nick Marshall, right? We kick him off the team. He goes to he goes to Juco for a year, goes to Auburn, and he beats us, right? Takes him to a, the national championship game. And I, and look, guys, I understand that. It's frustrating for me, too. And when it's for a, 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 something like a drug offense or underage possession, these guys get kicked off the team, that frustrates me. But domestic violence, I'm sorry, man. i got no patience for like some things aren't deserve a second chance and deserve internal punishment or a one game. Especially you know, like the way we were raised and stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, drug offenses, underage possession, stupid victimless stuff like that. Okay, yeah, get a second chance. Keep him on the team. Give him the counseling he needs. Help him grow into a man. Help help him learn from his mistakes. All that stuff. Give him, make him run till he pukes. You know, sus- suspend him for a game or two. But domestic violence, I'm sorry, man, you can't be on our team. You can, you cannot be a part of our program. That's not what we're about. You have, you have to send a message. And by keeping guys on the team like that, you're sending the message to athletes that it's okay. When Joe Mixon, okay, yeah, people say he will, he was suspended for a year. No, Joe Mixon took a red shirt, guys. Joe, Joe Mixon redshirted his freshman year. You can say, well, it's because he really suspended. He redshirted. He redshirted. There was, other than his reputation, Joe Mixon didn't really get damaged. He's going to be a, probably, he might end up finding his way into the first round, if not at least the second round um, in the, at the NFL draft this week. That's not, that, to me, that's not okay. Like when that happens, you're sending the message that it's okay to do this to women. Like a message has to be sent that we will not tolerate. We we can't control what everyone else is around us, but as a program, we can tolerate or we can say that you're not going to be on our program. We're not going to tolerate this. So that's just me. Uh, and look, I again, I I don't purport to be the the moral police. That's just how I view the situation. So I, I I'm completely down with it. Uh, in terms of how does it hurt us on the field, uh. It might have well cost us the Max Ray commitment. That might have been the, the more damaging thing than Dimery himself. Because Dimery's uh he's 
he was a project. Like he has a great body, you know, six six, three twenty, very very raw. If he was going to contribute, it was going to be down the road. And then you got guys like Isaiah Wilson, Andrew Thomas, who are much more ready at this point to be contributors much earlier on. And if those guys lock down those two positions, wh- where does Demery fit in? You don't know. Um, so I, I don't know if it's that damaging. It hurts depth a little bit, sure. I think it might have impacted Max Ray because we probably wouldn't have asked him to play guard if we knew that Demery was going to be on the team. But uh, I don't think it's a killer. I, I, and I think Kirby made the right move by, uh, by parting ways and based on the information that he had. All right, I'll stick with the offensive line here for a second. Uh, I've got another question from Twitter. How much do you think these big-time offensive line recruits coming in are going to produce for us this season, if at all? How do you see that? I, I think they are going to produce for us because the fact is the people on campus right now aren't. Yeah. They're going to get the opportunity, I believe, because no one has truly solidified themselves. Which guy do you think has the best chance? I'm a, I mean, I think we all believe it in Isaiah Wilson. I think most people I've heard a few people that are on the, the Thomas bandwagon thinking he's a little more skilled from a technical standpoint. Right now, maybe, certainly not from a physical standpoint. But I'm with you. I think Wilson at that right tackle spot. I think, I mean, look, Dyshawn, we, we can't win with Dyshawn wins there all year. Or Dyshawn Sims. We can't win with him anywhere. No, I, I, he can't be on the off. He cannot be a starter in the offensive line. Like, he... At no point, and it's not just based on Saturday, guys. Like watching him throughout his career, I know he was our sixth, sixth man last year, but has this guy ever done anything besides get, be on roller skates and get thrown into our backfield? Yeah, the only thing I've ever seen him consistently do is be in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate dogging on our guys, man, but like, I'm just trying to be real about this. I don't think we can win with him as a starter anywhere along our offensive line. And I know that's putting a lot of pressure on a guy like Isaiah Wilson. You know, you never know if freshmen are going to be able to come in and contribute, especially in line but of scrimmage. that's also why you signed a guy like that. Right, but I also want to – like in the past couple of years, it's not unprecedented for offensive tackles, elite offensive tackles, to be able to come in right away and contribute. You, no, you look, we saw it with uh, Trenton Sturdivant for Georgia way back in the day. You saw it with Mitch uh, Hyatt. Uh, Mitch Hyatt at um, Clemson. You saw Jonah Williams last year at Alabama. I mean, basically, Alabama seems to plug in a true freshman almost every year at one of those tackle spots, and, and they're just fine. Uh, and because they're elite players that they sign, and Wilson is that. So I'm very hopeful. Uh, are you counting on that right now? Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward. I'll say that. I'm looking for. Well, I do you think he's uh, for us to have a successful offensive line? Do you think one of those guys has to come in and take that spot? I think that... I think either that or Ben Cleveland has to grow up and prove he's ready, which I don't know. Yeah, it, it really hurt us that we didn't get an opportunity to see what Cleveland's done. I saw him in the injury. first scrimmage, uh, and he looked good, man. I mean, he, he's still got to work on his bend. That's his big thing. I mean, he's physically imposing. Um, he's just got to work on his nastiness. I, I don't, he hasn't. He's never been nasty enough for me. He's got to work well, on I think that. People like that were always so much bigger, they didn't have to be. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's something... I don't know... That's, I think that's innate to a degree, but that's something that you can develop in a player. I really do think that. And some guys are just bad to the bone from the get-go, but I think it's something you can develop to some degree. Uh, bend and flexibility is where he's really got to work. Uh, and he's got, he has got he showed some strides. I liked what I saw from him in that isolated setting there in that first scrimmage, but it would have been nice to see him again on G-Day. We didn't get to see that. But I, I'm just going to go back to that. I don't, I don't think we are going to be able to win much with Isaiah, with, Isaiah, uh, with Dyshawn Sims. Anywhere along that offensive line, I just don't. I just, I just do not see it at all. Um, all right, we're gonna go one more question here. 
And I'm going to bring this into the equation. Well, do we want to go wide receiver talk? Because we have a lot of questions on the wide receivers. Do you want to save that for the next show? Because we're running a little low on time here and then go with something different today? I think we could touch on one since we've been on offense. Okay, let's touch on wide receivers here real quick. Okay, so wide receivers. Uh, let's just touch on this one, Stanley and Chigbu. Do you think Jason Stanley and Michael Chigbu have been recruited over by Tyler Simmons and J.J. Holloman at this point? They've been recruited over by people like Riley Ridley. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think that's without a doubt. I get. I think that these guys. I mean, but they were out there with the one unit on. Saturday, right? Yeah, but you also Riley Ridley's been hurt. They weren't going to take a chance at him getting a long-term injury. But they were working ahead of Simmons and Holloman. Well, yeah, because uh, you'd be shocked to see those guys come out and start right away. Well, it's also by virtue of the fact I think they are upperclassmen. And look, no decision to be made on playing time right now. That'll all be decided. And this is a factor in it, I guess, but that's going to be decided in fall camp. So typically you're going to see those upperclassmen who have had a little more opportunity to play and the coaches trust a little bit more. Uh, they're going to have them out there for spring, and then if adjustments can be made, they can be made come fall camp. But I think it's pretty clear that Simmons and Holloman are much more prepared at this point to contribute as receivers than Stanley and Chibu. Chibu is a very good physical blocker for us, but you're almost playing – And if, you, if you're trying to throw the football, you're almost playing 10 on 11 out there with Chibu. He's just not a threat, is he? No, not at all. At all. I mean, he's got he's. I mean, people dog Jason Stanley for his drops issues, but Chigaboo has had plenty of drops himself. But Stanley's kind of an interesting guy for me though, because he's got great athletic ability. He's got really good size, six yeah, two, a good body, great speed. What's that? Zero catches last. Right, year. Right, zero catches last year. Right. So that's my question. Like, he had some drops early in the year, and that got into his head. It seemed like, and, and, it, and it soured the coach on him, understandably. But if you look at him on the hoof. I mean, the dude's got a great body. He's thick, tall, 6'2". He's got great track speed. But the hands are an issue. Do you see the light potentially ever coming on for Jason Stanley? Not truly. I think it's almost become a head thing with them. It has, but I think you can work on that. Like, if, if, a, if a few good things start happening, I think all those issues can go away. Yeah, but you saw those good things in last spring where he was, you know, we were all raving about him coming out of spring practice last year that he made us all look stupid. He, Yeah, I guess all I'm saying is I think he can do it because he's got the physical tools. He's just got to do it in games well, think, to build some confidence. I think he confidence. can do it, but he's only going to get so many more opportunities. Right, that's true. I mean, he can do it. That's saying one thing, but he hasn't done it yet when he's been given opportunities. That's very true. Um, but if he can somehow – keep himself in the conversation for playing time, and when he gets out there and gets an opportunity, if he can just catch the freaking football and do a few things and build some confidence there and kind of get the mind games out of the equation, I think he could still be a contributor for us. But I would, at this point, uh, I'm much more confident in saying Tyler Simmons and J.J. Holloman are going to be much more, or much more, I don't know, they're going to be better, bigger contributors for us this year, in, in my humble opinion. I know Simmons had a couple of drops too. Um, but I saw him in two settings. I saw him at the first scrimmage and, Hall- and a G day. Holloman looked like a grown man, and he, I, that kid's got the body to block. Also, oh, that, the dude's going to be great. I mean, he's he's going to be very very good for us. Now, he's not going to be great right away, but he's going to be a contributor. He's going to play. He's going to make some catches. He's going to do some things for us that will help us win games. I think the same thing you say about Tyler Simmons. I'm actually really excited about the, the potential playmakers we have on offense that could emerge this year. We didn't have them last year. You had you had McKenzie, and that was about it. I mean, Godwin flashed here and there. 
The running game could never really get going because our offensive line was a joke and we couldn't threaten the, down the field that much with Eason missing shots after shots after downfield or uh, throwing the ball downfield. So I'm excited about those guys. And yeah, I think Stanley and Chibu have been recruited over. You, you, you mentioned Riley Ridley, Simmons, Hobbit. And that's not even mentioned guys like Mark Webb that we got coming in this year. They'll be here this summer. So yeah, the time is now for Stanley and Chibu. If they don't make a move or if they get passed over, they're just, they're going to be done. And then I just think that's going to be the case. All right, we have a couple more questions on receivers. We're going to hold those for the next show. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday, so make sure to check for us then, guys. Hope you enjoyed uh, part one of the April listener mailbag here. Back again on Tuesday, part two. If you still have questions you'd like for us to cover on part two, remember you can tweet us at glory underscore UGA. Send us uh, any questions via email at glory UGA podcast at gmail.com. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, guys, Go dogs.